0: We're looking this morning at finding love, and uh, for some of you, uh, I, would inc- uh, I was joking with some, some people about the fact that they should be finding love by watching the World Cup and uh, finding out how they should enjoy soccer, um, but they just laughed at me. Um, uh, but Argentina is up one and nothing already, uh, 2, and two and nothing already, so hey, there we go, some people are... Have the proper loves. No, just kidding. Uh, we're looking at, at love this morning from Luke chapter 2, and my goal this morning is to think about the fact that God is love and to consider that together as we look at this familiar story. Uh, because we often have the question in our mind, does anyone love me? Should, do I love anyone? How does this work? Do, do I feel that love? In some ways, the question is, does someone love me without my performance or my utility? That is, the, what I bring to the table, my usefulness to them. Does someone love me like that? And, and, and in that sense, does it even matter? When I first met Amy, she was a freshman in college uh, at, at Faith Baptist Bible College. I was a senior. Uh, I had been waiting uh, over the years for... Someone to join. I was a missions major, and I was looking for someone to be a missions major too. And there were no girls in the missions missions program until uh, that year. And there were a couple of freshmen that were missions majors. And of course, as a senior, I'm supposed to kind of fill them in on what the missions major is like. So that's how I met them. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I wish they would have come sooner. You know. She was cute, but she already had another boyfriend. She had a boyfriend back home. You know how that goes. And then you're like, okay, well then, there's no hope for me. I might as well even try. And uh, and uh, so she, she eventually switched majors to elementary ed because um, she felt it was wiser to get some kind of program where you can ma- actually make money in a degree, especially coming out of faith. But uh, But so... We 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 knew each other through a couple of years of college. Uh, traveled on different teams. We traveled. But I saw her. I got to know her a little bit. Uh, she was cute. I wish I could, I, I was kind of like I wish I could do something there, but there doesn't seem to be any hope of that. So I went on out to Baptist Bible Seminary in Clarkson, Pennsylvania. And I moved away. But then I was writing another girl via email. This dates me right here for those of you who are, who thinks email's just been around forever. Email was just starting off when we were in college, okay? Like it was this total experiment and you didn't even have your own email address. So you would email an address hoping to get it to the right person. So I would actually, I was emailing her hoping to get it to her roommate. Her roommate didn't really want to have anything to do with me, so she responded and we emailed back and forth for about a semester, and then basically she decided this isn't worth it, and she ghosted me. Uh, for you know, long distance relationships are hard, right? Especially when you're not even dating, just emailing each other. We're talking, you know, right? But then uh, I was almost done with seminary, and uh, we went to a, we we ended up at the same wedding together. And I saw her again, and I was like, ah, oh, man, I really want to date her. But again, how is it even possible? And uh, then she, she emailed me after the wedding. And then we started emailing back and forth after that. And one thing led to another. We dated and got married, obviously. 20 X mile years later. But the... The idea of love is something that is like okay, maybe you get it, maybe you don't, right? Maybe you're lucky, maybe you're not lucky. How doesn't it, does it even matter. So, sometimes we wonder, right? Because like if you believe in evolution, right? Then in a sense, love is just it's a chance thing you get that's not really essential to your story. You just get it because well, you're lucky in a sense, or maybe unlucky depending on how you define it, because. The universe as a whole is indifferent to your existence. As long as, in a sense, you pass on your genes or hope to continue the progression of evolution somehow, then that's great. But otherwise, you don't matter as an individual. There's no one who, it doesn't matter if someone loves you, right? That, That knows who you are, that cares for who you are, and actually thinks of you as an individual person that matters to them. Religion, in some ways, as a whole, takes the idea of love and, and in some ways, just makes it about your behavior. Like, you're loved by the gods, or God, or whoever you define God to be, as long as you behave, right? That's what religion would say. If you behave properly, God loves you. Or, a twist on that would be, if you're useful to the God, if you're devoted to God, if you're like, yeah, he's going to use you in some master plan of his then then you're important to him but it, he doesn't really love you in that sense then it's just that you're part of his plan you're a cog in his machine as as overall as western americans the dominant thing most of your friends believe in is what someone would call moral therapeutic deism that is that god exists he's moral He wants you to do the right thing. But he's mostly out there for your happiness so that you can feel happy with life. And it's more like for love, that that standard is just more like minimum care. Like, I'm going to love you enough so that you're free to do whatever you want to do. Like, I don't want you to love me back. I don't want to have a a relationship together. I'm just more interested in, are you you happy? Are you free to do what you want to do? But we understand that if you define love properly love is way more than just I hope you're okay (laughs) love is that sense of I want to know you I want to know who you are and care for who you are in such a way that you are blessed that you are encouraged that you are strengthened and that you that we have this love together that we have this mutual encouraging dynamic care for one another because we know each other and we value each other in some ways, above everything else. But if there is no God, then does that even matter? And if there is a God that simply wants to maneuver the wheels of fate to accomplish the goal that he has in mind, whatever it is, then again, does love even matter? And as we look at Luke chapter 2, I want to explore the idea that not that God happens to have love as kind of a side thing that he likes to dabble in, or that he uses as a manipulative tool to say, you better love me back, but that God is love, that he is the definition of love, and that the way he loves is clear in Scripture, that God is love, and he is seeking us in Jesus. And so I want to look more closely at this idea of love, what it means, and how really it's, it is, in that sense, one of the foundational pieces to the universe. You exist because God loves you. you this world exists because he wants you to know him. Him. He wants you to love him, to know him in his fullness, in his glory, and be able to relate to him in such a way that you value him. And he wants you to know that he values you. So let's look at Luke chapter 2 and, and just see who this God is, this God who says that he is love. And point number one that I want to kind of bring out here as we look at this, first of all, the point is this God, love sacrifices out of humility. Humility. This this God that we can get to know. Love sacrifices out of humility. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his hometown. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Here we have this passage of Scripture that it's, it's kind of this, you get the underlying tones of not panic, but at least fear. Like, what do you mean? I'm pregnant. I've got to go across across Israel on a probably at least a two day journey to get to, to Bethlehem to register with my husband uh, because he's of the house and lineage of David. And and he's look at this this emperor who lives in Rome far away and he's making us do things that disrupt our lives for his own personal aggrandizement of some kind or his control of our lives and and and. And there's that sense behind it, right? You know, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Like, he's the king, he's the emperor, he says what we have to do. But, and that feels, a lot of times that feels like chaos, right? Things that come into our lives that we have no control over, that are in some ways under the control of someone else that are forcing us to do things, and it feels like chaos in that sense. But there's another sense in this passage And it reminds me a lot of all the way back in Genesis 1. You you know the first two verses of the Bible, right? In the beginning, God created in the heavens and the earth. It just jumps into the story, so to speak, and says, God created. The second verse says, and the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. Like, it... In ancient Near Eastern times, there was a lot of different ideas about creation. Most of them revolved around some kind of violence, like there was, there was that sense of chaos was there, and out of the violence and the chaos, God, the gods forced something to happen. But it was about violence. And here, in Genesis 1, you get... Not violence, but you just get presence. Like, he was there. He was over the waters, and they were chaotic, sure, and they were, there was not a lot of form or function here. But God's not scared. He's not overwhelmed. He just slowly is like, okay, day one, uh, let's separate the light from the darkness. <laughs> oh, that looks pretty good, you know? And then let's, uh, let's, wait, a, let's wait a little bit here. Day two, you know, <laughs> let's separate the land from the water. Yeah, we're getting somewhere now. And, and, and it's just this, in a sense, this slow, patient, right, rhythm of I'm here and I'm going to create something out of chaos. And you get the same sense out of this passage. Like God's not surprised by Caesar Augustus's decree. He's not... It doesn't upset his plans. In fact, it's part of his plan because he's moving Joseph and Mary down to Bethlehem because he'd already predicted that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. It's just all part of his plan and he's present in the midst of this seeming chaos creating something that's beautiful and and right and fitting. He's making peace and joy out of the chaos and and that's one of the lies I think that we we, we fear about the universe and we fear about our lives that just there's too much chaos there's too much chaos in my life no one could love me no one could love I couldn't love anyone back because there's just too much chaos you know I'm too destructive or there's too many things out there that are destructive and there's no way for us to just simply be at peace and yet God comes into the picture and he's like, you know what? I'm here. And I'm not afraid of the chaos. I'm actually going to use the chaos to create something beautiful. And it's done not out of aggrandizement in the sense of he's not he's not here just like, okay, this is all about me this is all about just my feelings and what I want he, he's actually doing it out of love but with it's kind of a humble type of love right he's doing it you know this isn't can you in some ways right like why did God pick now right why did God pick during the days of Caesar and Augustus when there isn't even a king in in Judea, not a Jewish king anyway, why pick now as opposed to, like, why wasn't Solomon the Messiah? You know, because David was on the throne and already God had promised that, you know, David's son would be the king forever. Why wasn't Solomon the king? But in this picture here that we have, It's like God is saying, I don't need human controls to show that there's not too much chaos. I'm going to do this when there's no Jewish king on the throne. I'm going to do this when, in fact, you're under Roman domination. (laughs) Like, it looks like I'm not even on the throne anymore because the Romans are on the throne. And I'm going to do this not by bringing my son into this world in a palace, but in a stable. Because I'm here not to make much of the way I do things as much as for you to get to know who I am. That I'm the God who cares for you. Even when you're feeling lowly and chaotic and out of control and like no one cares. Humility values the other person just as much as myself. And humility, in that sense, is willing to sacrifice or do abnormal things to bring my presence and care to your need. I'm, God's not like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, of course, David's the king. Now let's get, a, get his son in place and let's move this. Program along. He's like, no, I'm gonna do things when you feel like I could do things because I want you to see that I care not so much about making myself look good, but meeting you and your need, and seeing you seeing how I operate even when your your life is falling apart. God loves that. In some ways, that is the part of the definition of love, don't you think? That 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 love would sacrifice when when we're not all together, <laughs> when our lives are chaotic, when we feel like I, I can't control everything, I don't know what the future holds, I, I, don't even, I can't even figure out myself sometimes, in the midst of that, someone shows up and says, I'm here, I care, I'm involved, I want to do something good. And in the midst of The chaos of a census in the midst of no room for them. In the midst of that, God's like, I'm still here. I'm entering into that. And I'm going to make something beautiful in the midst of that. So, moms, when you're like, how can God be in the midst of all the chaos of these kids? God's there. He, he loves in the midst of that. When you're at work and you're like, these people, they don't, <laughs> why is this so chaotic? God's there in the midst of that. He, he, he knows he's present. He's involved. And he's not fearful or surprised. He's present. And That's what part of love is, right? To be present with those we love, meeting their needs, even if it takes a little sacrifice along the way. Not only is that true, that that, that idea of love involved, but it's involved personally. Love finds and praises, is my point number two love finds and praises. Because God sets this up not just in the sense of having his son born in a stable, in a manger in the middle of Bethlehem, but he brings shepherds to the table as well, so to speak. Verse 8 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord." And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the thing that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Here's an amazing story, right? These shepherds, right? And shepherds, right, I'm sure you've heard it before, but shepherds are kind of on the bottom of the social scale, right? They're, they're not the ones people like to hang out with. The, you know, they're not upwardly mobile. If you're a shepherd, you're a shepherd, and that's about it. Right? And yet, these are the people that God appears to. These are the people that God's like, I'm going to send my angels to them. And it says, in the middle of the night, and say, hey, go find my son. He's been born. This is how you're going to know how to find him. He's going to be in a manger, which is a little different. Wrapped in swaddling claws is typical. <laughs> but there, in Bethlehem. And they go. Before they go, there's like, An angelic choir, right? Like, hey, this is amazing, right? In in, in the midst of that, he he's he's noticing the shepherds, but he wants them to go and notice as well. There's this this dual noticing that's happening, and this is part of what love is, is to to notice the other and to be noticed by them as well, to be seen, to be, in that sense, to be known. And of course, we have a fear in our world that, that in a sense the universe, if there's a God, or if the God, if there is one, that they don't know us, that they don't notice us. They, they don't notice us. You know what I mean? Like, we get maybe that God loves the world, you know. But does God notice me? That's a question. Because, hey, I mean, what, what, there's like, Seven billion, 8 billion. I don't know, I can't keep track of the numbers, right? How many billion people are on the world, right? And we live in Iowa, and we try to be like, keep most of the people out, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's not too, too many people around here. We like a few, but not too many. But there's, if there's, if there really is 8 billion people, like, God loves each one, I mean, like, does he know each one? Like, I mean... That seems incredible, right? It, it's, it seems like like God would be more like, okay, yeah, we'll take care of uh, we'll take care of the United States, but not Mexico, or we'll take care of you know we'll take care of Colombia, but not Brazil. We're going to take care of Argentina and not France. Evidently, is what's going on in the World Cup, right? Like God will take care of some generic group of people, but He won't care about me. He won't know me and all my problems and my concerns and my fears. I won't be known by him. It'll just be maybe I'll have to appeal to him and manipulate him to help me out. But in this passage, God wants the shepherds who are not known and at least not desired to be known by very many people to know his son. And he wants Mary and Joseph to realize he notices what they're going through as well. Because they show up and they say, This is what happened to us. And the, the, the God who knows us is it's clear. I mean, John chapter 1 talks about this, verse 43. It talks about Jesus. It says the next day, Jesus decided to go to Philip Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. He found Philip. You see that there already? He's noticing one person and saying, Follow me. You, you follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can you anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And so Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Here's this, this the way he, in a sense, proves his Messiah, his status with Nathanael is to say, I, I, I noticed you. I know who, where you were at with what you were going through. This is truly a a God who is love, who who notices us as individuals, not the mass of Iowans or even Amesites, however you want to say it, right? But us. He knows you. He knows what you're going through, what you fear in the middle of the night, the, the concerns that you have about 2023. He knows you, and He cares you. There's a, there's a famous poem that's it's called The Hound of Heaven. It's, it's by, uh, let's see, what's his name again? Francis Thompson. He wrote The Hound of Heaven as, as a picture of the fact that God pursues us out of love, even when we are running away from him. The, the picture is almost like a hound, you know, chasing a rabbit. And the rabbit keeps running away as fast as it can. And, and the picture is, in a sense, in Francis' Francis's head of himself always seeking to run away from God. God, I don't need you. I want this. I, I, God, I, I don't need you. I, I want other things. I want relationships. I want pleasure. I want other, anything else but you, and in the, in, the, in the poem, as it goes along, the voice of the hound is put into words, and it's keeps saying over and over again, but if you don't have me, you don't have those things. If you don't have me, you don't have those things. at the end of the poem, it says, and it's in old English, so you're gonna to have to bear with it a little bit. It says, comes on at hand the brute. He's saying, at last the dog is caught up to me, in a sense. That voice is surrounding me like a bursting sea. And here's the quote the voice is saying, and is thy earth so marred, shattered and shard on shard? Lo, all things fly thee, For thou flyest me. He's like, is your world so chaotic? Is it so destroyed? Well, the reason is because you keep running away from me. And then he ends the poem by saying this, rise, clasp my hand and come. Come halts by me that footfall that, that he's getting out of know, the picture. He's finally collapsed on the ground and the dog's paws are hitting next to him and standing over him. And here's his quote. He says, Is my gloom, after all, shade of his hand outstretched caressingly? he's like this gloom that i have this fear that i have this this thing that I, I that i just i i don't know what to do with but i know it's with me and i'm trying to solve it myself and he's like is that gloom in a sense the the shade of his hand reaching out to say hey i'm here and and the way that i know that i'm uh, that he's with me is because i realize that that i need him in the midst of all of the, the fears and the uncertainties and the, and the questions of life, that I need him, that, that his love is what I need in the midst of life. I encourage you, if you have time, to go check it out and read it in more detail. Because this is a God who loves us. He pursues us. He knows us. And this, is, this passage in Luke 2 is the... the The culmination of prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of the the fact that when we were running away, God's saying, but I'm coming, but I'm coming, but I'm coming, but I'm coming. And finally in Luke 2, he arrives, like the, the, the planting of the paws alongside of us, the panting of the breath, and finally, Jesus is here. He's come to deliver us. He's come to rescue us. He's come to show us his love, God's love for us. The last just thing I want to kind of point out here is that love treasures and ponders. Love treasures and ponders. Luke 2 verse 19 says, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen has been told them. There is a sense in which Mary, as a mother, right, she's like, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to treasure this, and I'm going to think about it. I'm going to treasure this, and I'm going to think about it. And don't we think about the things that we treasure? Don't we, don't we you kind know, of like, oh, yeah, this is important to me. I'm going to ponder it. I'm going to think on it. I'm going to mull it over. Why? Because it's valuable to us. And Psalm 139 points out that God does that to us. Psalm 139 says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's wombs. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. And Haley put it this way: "Love is your place in another. It's not dependent on you. It's affection freely given to you with patience and kindness and not withheld for ability or behavior. As a single cell, you were loved just the same as you are today without reservation." God loves us when we were in the womb. It's not based on, oh, you know, they can do so much for me. <laughs> Look how talented they are. God loves us then. Just as he loves us now when we're like, well, I'm, I'm, I got some talents, but I'm also got, I'm pretty messed up sometimes too. Because I think there's this, this fear that, that we have that we want love, but we fear that we're leavable. Does that make sense? Like someone would come and say, I love you, but only love us for a little while and then be like, hmm. <laughs> well, I got to know you and well, I guess I'm out of here, you know, right? We fear that. We, we fear this idea that we're, that we're leavable that, that, that people will get to know us and then say, but you're not worth knowing any longer. And yet, that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. To say, I love you and I love you in such a way that you, I, I will never leave you forsake you. The boys read it this morning, right? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. I've got it here too, sorry. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It doesn't leave when things get tough. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for not pass away, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. He's, he's, he's saying here, in the context, the Corinthians believed that, that they were valuable to God because the Spirit used them to do valuable things, like speak in tongues and do miracles, and like their worship was all about, let's do something amazing. You know? And sometimes we like to fall in the same trap, right? Like, let's do something amazing at church. And in here, Paul is trying to correct that. He's saying, in a sense, yeah, God does amazing things from time to time, but those aren't the things that really matter. It's love. The Holy Spirit was given not to do amazing things as much as to tell you you're loved. <laughs> like, like he goes on to say, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. This is kind of reference to Galatians, right, where he says, you know, the law was given to us as a child, but we're now Adults, we, we understand the truth of, that God loves us. We don't need the law to keep us in conformity. We understand that God loves us, and we live in that love. So says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. The whole point of the Spirit coming is that we could be face to face with God. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. God God knows us fully, but we want to know Him fully, and we want to know ourselves fully. And the only way that that happens is by understanding the love of God. And that's why He ends by saying, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. God is love. He's not going to leave you. He gave you the Holy Spirit so that you could know the gifts of the Holy Spirit are so you could say you, you belong. You're part of this. The, the body works. We're, we're all a part of this. There's not a Christian that's like, well, I'm a, I'm a substandard Christian. God kind of let me in the back door. You know. He doesn't really love me, but he's going to tolerate me. <laughs> you know. No. You are loved. And there's amazing plans for you that are more than just this life, and really it's not even about this life, it's about what he's doing to prepare you for the next. John puts it this way, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And he concludes, if, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. But, but here's the, the main point, is, is do you believe that God loves you? This, is, this story in Luke 2 is, is designed to help you see that God loves you. God cares for you. Wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, He is love. He pursues you so that you may know Him. He pursues you that you can have that relationship with Him. And the question is, is do you believe that? Or do you believe, well, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to live my life here, God. God. I'm just trying to do what I think is best for me. And he's like, no, 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 no. I want to have this relationship. If we can get this relationship right, I'll help you out (laughs) to understand everything else. Ah, We go through life... And it's, I think more often we approach God more like, well, God, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do better. You know, we, we don't even have a conversation. It's like we walk into the throne room, so to speak. Like, God, I'm sorry, I'll do better next time. You know, we're not asking like, God, what do you think about this, or how do, you, how much do you love me in the midst of this, or or how can, how can I, how can we, you know, come together to know each other in the midst of this? It's more just like, God, I, I don't want to hear from you. I'm sorry. You know? And we never take the time to realize that God is, wants to, he sent his sons to enter into life with us, to be present with us, to walk with us when we're struggling and when we're afraid and when we're fearful and when we, we're like, I, I don't know what the chaos of my life is going to hold. God loves us there. He walks with us there. And that's why Jesus came here to show us that. Because We wouldn't really believe it if we didn't see it in Jesus. So will you believe that God loves you, that God is love, that God loves you, and he has given up his son for you so that you could come into this relationship with him? And he makes it clear, he says, for the wages of sin is death. Like, there's the opportunity, in a sense, to to run away from God and be separated from God forever if you never come to him. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We we receive it simply by turning around and stopping running and saying, God, I, I need you. I need that gift that you promised to me. Romans ten thirteen says, for whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It says, whoever, the, the point of the verse is, is whoever, like it doesn't matter who you are, what status you come from, how much money you're going to make in this life or how much good you're going to do or how, what, what background you have. It's, Do you want the gift? Do you want to know God through Jesus Christ? Will you trust in Jesus? Will you believe he loves you? You are loved with an everlasting love. From eternity past to eternity present, he wants to pour out his love on you and he he wants you to know him and him to know you in such a way that you walk together in love forever. Will you believe it? Will you trust it? Luke 2 is the start of Jesus saying, I'm here. God loves you you can trust that. Will you do it? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. Sometimes we think the universe is cold, uncaring, and cruel. We don't even think there is a God. Sometimes we think you're there, but you just want us to obey. You don't really care about us. You don't care about our concerns. You just want us to obey not cause you grief and yet you are God who enters into our grief and our sorrow and our fear and you bring your presence and you bring your peace because you are a God of love help us to walk in that help us to trust that help us to share that that's one of the beauties of Christmas is that we get to share love because you first loved us. We thank you in your son's name. Amen.